There's a genetic genealogy-driven cold case revolution sweeping through law enforcement across the nation. And it's being led by one very unlikely group of people. Coming up, I'm going to tell you all about this silent army paving the way for a resolution of decades-old cold cases. And we'll talk to a woman intimately involved in one of my last cases. The Family History Detectives podcast is a behind-the-scenes look at the investigative use of genealogy and genetic genealogy to solve mysteries. From stolen babies to unidentified remains to catching murderers, genealogy is becoming one of the best forensic tools available for shining a light on previously hidden truths. Hey there, I'm forensic genetic genealogist Allison Peacock, once again coming to you from our beautiful 100-year-old farmhouse in upstate New York. With me is my amazing son-in-law, Adam Nury, who's the creative force of nature behind the beautiful musical score that you hear on our podcast. hey Yeah. Hey, Adam, you know how much I love our music. I get a lot of compliments about it, actually. I love our theme. Feel free to remind me of those compliments anytime you want. I will forward them to you from now on. Wonderful. Okay. As I just mentioned, today we're talking about the unexpected and relentless group of people in this country that are largely responsible for my being able to do the work that I do. And that is using public genealogy databases to identify unknown persons for law enforcement. It was this quiet revolution that led to my identification of 1981 murder victim Tina Lynn Klaus last year. And that very development that then allowed us to eventually locate her daughter, Holly Marie, and help reunite her with her extended family after 41 years. So who is this mysterious group of people that have paved the way for this emerging field in law enforcement? Before I tell you the answer to that, it will help put all of this into context for me to explain a little bit about how genetic genealogy grew into what it is today. You see, the usage of genetic genealogy is very new to law enforcement. It came onto the scene a few years ago in a pretty unexpected way. When consumer DNA testing became popular, people looking for the identities of lost family members soon realized that in addition to figuring out what area of Eastern Europe or South America their ancestors may have come from, for instance, they could also use these tests to fill in the gaps in their family trees. If you're not sure who grandpa's parents were, or if your mother never revealed the man she met at a party who happened to contribute 50% of your DNA, this kind of testing was suddenly the perfect tool. Taking one of these tests and triangulating the matches into networks will eventually reveal the identity of missing people in your family tree. As the popularity of these tests grew, some forward-thinking law enforcement investigators and genealogists discovered in a trial-by-fire experience that this same technique could help law enforcement find unknown perpetrators. The results of their experiment made headlines around the world when the Golden State Killer was arrested in 2018. Identification of this serial killer, Joseph D'Angelo, began about four months before his high-profile arrest when Detective Paul Holes with the Contra Costa County Sheriff's Office and FBI lawyer Steve Kramer uploaded the killer's DNA profile from a Ventura County rape kit to GEDmatch. Today, GEDmatch is one of two public genealogy databases that allows law enforcement access for a fee. But when this happened, it was kind of the Wild West, signed off by a judge, of course, but it was a little controversial. It had never been done. And it led, thankfully, to tightening up of the legal issues around law enforcement access to consumer DNA. So back to this case, this famous case. 
Once the perpetrator's profile was uploaded, GEDmatch offered up a dozen or so people who shared third great-grandparents with this unknown suspect. A team of five investigators working with forensic genealogist Barbara Ray Venter used this list to construct a large family tree that was eventually D'Angelo's undoing. Whoa. Yeah, pretty cool, huh? Back to our quiet army. Who were all these people who popped up as matches on GEDmatch? Well, they were mostly people with big unknowns in their own family trees. And what group of people faced the most unknowns in their family tree? Do you have any idea, Adam? Would it be adoptees? Yeah. And people that surrender children for adoption. There are a lot of people in the world that are now trying to go back and reclaim their roots. So adoptees, as well as the surrendering family members of adoptees, make up a huge percentage of GEDmatch users. The fact that these users then choose to opt into law enforcement access is actually what allows me to do my job. If you understand the purpose of this website, it makes a lot of sense. Because you have to go through some kind of mystery in the family, through adoption or unknown paternity, to go to the trouble to enter your DNA to another website after you first tested with a company like Ancestry or 23andMe. As a forensic genealogist, I often have to help solve the biological heritage of a handful of our law enforcement subjects' matches in order to further our own investigations. It's extra work, but that's sometimes just what it takes to solve the case, because these are the people that we find most often in GEDmatch. If we're lucky, the already identified biological parent they're looking for is someone they can tell us about. But if not, we often offer help in order to move our own investigations along. GEDmatch was designed to help consumers compare samples with people across all of the consumer DNA testing companies. Because if you only have your DNA profile in Ancestry or in 23andMe, you can only see people from that website that have tested. So an open source site like GEDmatch blows the door wide open to matches from other companies. Suddenly, as a 23andMe user, you can compare with someone who tested on MyHeritage or Ancestry. You can literally compare samples with any other person that uses the site, no matter where they tested. Today, I'd like to introduce you to Kristen. Kristen was one of the closest familial matches that I encountered on GEDmatch when I was working with the DNA from a young Jane Doe that I later identified as Tina Klaus in October of last year. The fact that Kristen unselfishly chose to opt into law enforcement access of her DNA profile for matching purposes made my job so much easier. So... Kristen, Adam is my son-in-law, and he's an amazing producer. He does our music on our podcast, and he's my uh, partner in crime, so he may pipe in occasionally. Um, He also shares something in common with you, except he didn't use DNA, but I'll let him tell you that if it comes up. Kristen, how about introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your genetic genealogy journey? I'm Kristen Cantrell. I live in Austin, Texas, about 57 years old. I was adopted. I knew I was adopted before I knew what the word meant. I was adopted at 10 days old. I'm the youngest of three adopted kids. I had great parents. I was blessed with that and really decided to wait to start any journey to find my parents until my parents were gone. And I started a little late, apparently, It took me about a year of looking at different matches and things to try to get towards a birth parent. And I ended up finding my birth father. 
And he had passed about 10 days before I found him. Oh, my goodness. I'm so sorry. Uh, Yeah, it kind of stunk, but (laughs) I didn't get to see pictures. And boy, do I look like him. I reached out to a half-brother, but his dad had just died. And I think he thought that I wanted something from them and just shut me out and hasn't been responsive to anything. It's been, gosh, about two years now since that happened. Mm Mm-hmm. So that was My, right before I reached out to you, right? You had already no, identified him. it was him. quite a ways before. Oh, okay. Okay. Because I remember you were one of the first people to mention the Smith family to me. I remember it being really helpful. Do you remember us, our interaction or anything? Yeah, I do. I do. And it was really neat to find out that my DNA helped. <laughs> yeah. The Smith family is the father. He was Bruce Irvin Smith. Mm-hmm. I haven't found anything that leads towards my mother. Oh, well, we need to take a look at that. I remember well, talking to you about it, but I don't remember where we left it. So let's talk I after. I believe she's in Germany. Honestly, that's the conclusion. Oh, that that's right. To. Yes, that's right. I remember now. Lucky for you, we have um, a pro genealogy wizard that can help you out. I have her number, so I'll, I'll set you two up. <laughs> Well, I would love that. <laughs> well, well, I can't do anything, though, if the person is in another country and hasn't tested or anything. But I do remember now your mother was German and just maybe came over and then went back or something. She well, was from the United States. Her parents were both German. And she was working as a nurse in yes. Germany, yes, um, no, I guess, with the military. And that's where she met my father. Mm. Well, let's definitely take another look at it. It's been a while, so you never know what could have come up in the meantime. I uh, do remember the Smith family because Tina's grandparents were a Smith and a Jones, actually. (laughs) Go figure. (laughs) You know, it really helped. If you were either the top or the second, I want to say you were the top. If not, you were just within a few centimorgans of the other person. There were two really good top first cousin once removed matches, which is kind of rare, you know, in what I do. When it happens, it's great. Well, luckily, I had a pretty good tree built with the help of some cousins. Well, and if I remember correctly, so your father would have been Tina's first cousin. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, his one of his father, I guess, since he was a Smith, his father would have been the sibling of her grandmother. Yeah, they were pretty closely related. It was a huge family. You know, when I was looking for them and zeroed in on those grandparents, the grandparents had 11 children over 20 years, you know, and they were in like eight different states and it was a huge family. That's why all of the decent matches that I find, I have to immediately see who's related because they Smiths were very prolific. How long did it take you to identify your father after you took your test? Just under a year. Okay. And you were doing it by yourself? I had the help from a cousin and then a couple people helped from Facebook Mm -hmm. and were able to help me. And then I had the cousins to reference back to. Then it just became clear that it had to be Bruce that was the father. Boy, then I saw his obituary and I matched on FTDNA with my half-brother. That's got to be exciting. It was. And then a letdown, though, because, but, oh, well, maybe someday. Yeah, maybe someday. (laughs) You know, maybe when the time's right, you'll feel an impulse. 
I'm a big believer in impulses. Was so desperate to reach out to him that I reached out to a son that had a lot of social media. And he was much more receptive, but said that his dad wasn't interested. Yeah. Well, they're lost, you know? Yes. What made you decide to opt into law enforcement usage? You know, there's a box there and you don't automatically opt in. So you must have made the conscious decision. I did. I worked at a prison for a while. I am a nurse and I worked at a prison out in Bartlett, Texas, and drew a lot of DNAs and saw a lot of DNA hits. And I just thought it'd be a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you did. Sure. (laughs) And I know Tina's family is too. You know, we talk about these things. I have a group text with both Tina and Dean's siblings on both sides and Dean's mother. It's just this huge thing that goes off all day long. And I tell them about things. I told them I was going to talk to you this week. And, you know, they're so grateful. In fact, Dean's mother, who is 81 now, I think she says, you know, there's got to be a way we have to get everybody in the whole country to test their DNA. You know, Congress ought to figure out a way. And I'm like, don't see that happening anytime soon. But she's so passionate about what this technology did for them after waiting for 40 years to know what happened. You know, you did a good thing. Well, I haven't seen the DNA do anything bad. Yeah, exactly. Somebody was telling me today, Ancestry actually had a sale going on today and they're instead of $99, they're like $50 right now. And I posted on my wall and said, you know, hey, if you've been wanting to do it, here's a discount. And somebody piped up and said, you know, I'm just, I can't believe the government wouldn't hack into that database and do something bad. And, you know, they were a protected minority and they were worried about that. And I just, it's sad that it's so confusing to people that I'm actually going to explain a little bit about what accessing DNA for law enforcement actually gives them. I mean, there's such a limited amount of information they're getting anyway. There's really not much you can do with it that's bad. Unless you are guilty of a crime where you left your DNA. Exactly. (laughs) And if you did, watch out, buddy. Exactly. Because we're coming. You should be watching (laughs) your back. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I say that a lot. You know, it's just I've seen too many of these, you know, 70, 80 year old men that did horrible things 30, 40 years ago. And to see them led away in handcuffs and to see victims, families getting justice. It's just it's amazing. It's a good thing. You know, I believe in truth and justice. They had no choice but to give their DNA and. You'd be surprised how many hits we would get on other crimes. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, someone was getting shipped out for a worse crime. Mm -hmm. DNA is the great truth teller. As long as we can learn as a society to manage it in a respectful and responsible way, I think it's here to stay, you know. My son-in-law asked for a DNA kit for last year for Christmas. They found in his mother's family a full brother that they didn't even know existed. Oh and I'm gosh. not exactly sure how that happened. Huh. Um, well, I so don't know that somebody had a child up. and gave it up for adoption before they got married or something, maybe? I guess so, possibly. I'm not sure of the story, but they've gotten together with him and built a relationship. So it's been a neat thing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I was just telling Adam right before you called in, I had a funny encounter today, especially anytime I post about DNA, I get the most interesting messenger messages on Facebook. And we have a guy in town we call Highway Randy. He's the one of the maintenance guys for the county around here. And he wrote me and was showing me pictures of his cousin. And he said, you know, I've got this cousin and we all did a DNA test because somebody was trying to trace their paternal line. They were just having the males in the family do a DNA test. It's called Y-DNA. For some reason... He and these cousins did this DNA and then discovered they didn't match. And come to find out, his two cousins are the children of the sons of Kirk Douglas, the actor. And he was sending me these pictures. And I was like, oh, my gosh, he looks just like Michael Douglas. He goes, yeah, yeah, it's his brother. So anyway, he was asking me questions about the DNA test, trying to decide whether to take one. And yeah, it's kind of see a reason not to. Yeah, I really can't. It's fun. It is a decision. You know, I have an informed consent agreement that we get everybody that does DNA testing to sign because there's so many different things that can happen when you take one. You really have to put some thought into it ahead of time about what you want to know or don't want to know. Yeah, definitely. So would you say there's anything that was negative about your experience doing DNA? Well, the rejection of my half-brother, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I had done enough homework to realize that could happen. Other than that, no. I took a long time to write a letter that I sent to him Mm -hmm. and really tried to express that I wasn't looking for anything, that I didn't want to take anything from him other than to maybe have a relationship. But no Yeah, and that could have happened whether you did DNA or not. You know, in the old days when people used court records to try to find out things, you know, they had to go through things like that. I'm sorry that you went through that. It's okay. It really is. I've dealt with it or come to peace with it. Kristen, were you able to find anybody else through your DNA submission? I know you mentioned the mother was kind of a dead end, but you were talking about your father and the half-brother. Was there anybody else on top of that that you discovered? Well, I have formed a relationship with a couple of my first cousins. We're friends on Facebook and we chat often. We're about the same age. She thought that I was her aunt's child on a different side of the family because she said I looked so much like her. They were my first people that I reached out to that responded that were matches. And then they kind of tried to help me where they could along the way. That's cool to have that resource for sure. Yeah. Then there was another cousin of mine. She actually, I think, is my third cousin. She was very into genealogy and we talked. And then she, I really have to give almost all the credit of my tree on ancestry to her. She did a lot of work on that, building that for me from what she knew and what she had done and figured out, I think you're on this line, but, you know, (laughs) it was a big family. How fortunate is that, though, to to find a uh, someone with experience, an ace in your tree? You know, that's very convenient. It sure was. I really thought when I met her that I was on the path, that things were coming together and they were. Well, and it's got to feel good to know that these people are blood relatives now. You have friends and you have people in your life that you share a connection with. And that I'm not an adoptee, so I don't know how that might feel. I, actually, Mike's husband was an adoptee. And I know for him, finding anybody that he was related to 
was a big deal, you know. So I would think that even cousins, you know, and I need to go ahead and introduce you to Les and Sherry. You know, we just did a podcast episode with them a couple of weeks ago, and they're really, really great people. I'll introduce you to Sherry on Facebook so that y'all can share pictures or something. So you would have been your dad, who you didn't know, but they may even know something about him. I don't know. Your dad would have been first cousins with their mother. So I'll introduce you to Les and Sherry on Facebook. That would be great. Yeah, I don't know why I hadn't thought to do that before. How are everyone doing? I think they're doing great. I think the only thing right now that's been frustrating for them is that the reunion with Holly has gotten postponed several times due to, you know, uncontrollable things. Donna, Dean's mother, was really sick a few weeks ago and was in the hospital for a few days with COVID. About the same time, actually, the day before, Holly's husband was sick. And so, you know, those things can't be changed. But then when you've got to get like 25 people together again, it takes a few weeks to find another day when everybody can be together. And I know that's been hard for them because they're just all chomping at the bit to meet her. We've had some Zoom meetings and doing pretty good. They're all doing pretty good. That's good. I think the last time we had spoke on Facebook or chatted, you told me everyone was having a rough time. So Mm -hmm. that's good to hear. Yeah. Thankfully, things like that pass. And Donna's kicking and screaming again and sending us messages in the text thread. So we're all good. (laughs) But when she was in the hospital, I was just like, ah, you know. COVID's not a joke. No, it's not. She'd actually had it before, you know. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story a little bit. I hope that by sharing these kind of case studies and personal stories with people, we can encourage more people to upload their DNA. It's critical. It's needed. And um, we appreciate you so much. Oh, I think it's super important. I'm sorry my story isn't a little more exciting, but... (laughs) No, it is. (laughs) It is. It's your story. Get those matches and things, the butterflies and the nerves and the feelings that it invokes is crazy. So it's true. I wanted to chime in and say that even if you don't see it as maybe the most interesting story, it's still really cool that you made all these connections with other folks in your family that you wouldn't have otherwise known. I think it's useful for other folks to know anybody who might be considering submitting their DNA and taking this journey might be helpful for them to know going into it that you kind of have to be ready to take the good with the bad. You're going to learn some cool stuff and you're going to learn some dark stuff, but you're still going to learn. Right. And that's what really matters at the end of the day. Definitely an emotional journey. For sure. (laughs) I've been through it myself and my sister has as well, both with different results and different outcomes. And it's we're both better for it. I think I am, too. (laughs) That's really cool. Another way that adoptees are influencing the resolution of cold cases using forensic genetic genealogy is that by honing their skills as a search angel for adoptees, a genealogist eventually develops the skills to help law enforcement. Until very, very recently, just the last couple of years, there was literally no other training for this work. Have you tested your DNA with one of the direct-to-consumer testing companies? If so, please consider sharing your data with law enforcement. To do this, simply go to your settings on the DNA website where you tested, click on Download Your Data, and then save the raw data file to your computer. Then you'll go to gedmatch.com, set up a free account, and click on Upload Your DNA. 
be sure to check the box that says opt in to law enforcement. And that's all there is to it. It's that easy. Something that I think is really important to point out is that by allowing law enforcement access to your DNA profile on GEDmatch, no one is able to download your DNA profile or your data or do anything nefarious with it. There are so many misunderstandings about what uploading your data actually does. Law enforcement is only able to see that you match another kit and how much you match that profile that's being researched. There's literally nothing dangerous to your privacy about allowing law enforcement to see that you match the profile of an unknown person that they're desperate to identify. So by opting in, you're helping your community and you're helping victims' families. No worries about some billionaire loading my DNA into a robot. No robots. No DNA robots looking like Adam. Sorry to burst your bubble. Sign me up then. (laughs) If this kind of work interests you and you want to help us solve a cold case, there are many agencies that need your help funding this expensive technology. I invite you to visit our website and look for our GoFundMe links to fund the kind of case that you're interested in. We also accept donations via PayPal. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Family History Detectives podcast is a production of FHD Forensics, written by Allison Peacock, with music and audio production by Adam Nury. For more information or to contact FHD Forensics, please follow us online at familyhistorydetectives.com.